Welcome to Choice Classic Radio. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and help keep this show alive by donating at choiceclassicradio.com. For more of your favorite old-time radio shows, join us on our companion podcast, Choice Classic Radio Mystery, Suspense, Dramas, and Horrors, where we bring to you the most mysterious tales that the golden age of radio had to offer. And now, with over 167 episodes broadcast on NBC Radio from 1949 to 1953, we bring to you Dangerous Assignment. Dangerous Assignment, transcribed starring Brian Donnelly as Steve Mitchell. Here, headed an international crime syndicate. He was deported to the Balkans several years ago. And as you know, he managed to slip into Canada late last year. Was killed there in an auto accident. Right. So? So, maybe Tagu isn't dead after all. What? When Tagu was deported, his organization folded. Some of the smaller mobs tried to hold it together, but couldn't. That was the end of the syndicate. We fought. A short time ago, we learned it was operating again. The strings being pulled from somewhere out of the U.S. Tagu again, you think? He was the only man who could control the various mobs and keep the organization running smoothly. I want you to run up to Montreal, Steve. Check on that so-called accidental death of Tagus. Okay, Commissioner. And here's something else that might help. I want you to look in on the mysterious disappearance of a certain Dr. Franklin Dorberg. Dr. Dorberg? How does he tie in with Tagus? He may not. Still, there might be a connection. Dr. Dorberg is a well-known plastic surgeon from New York. He was on vacation in Montreal. Disappeared from his hotel room last night. Plastic surgeon, huh? That sounds interesting. Find out what you can about him, Steve. I've got a hunch that if you can locate Dr. Dorberg, you'll also find Anthony Tagu. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Here's a reminder about Thursday's entertainment schedule on most NBC stations. There's comedy fun with Robert Young, starring in Father Knows Best. The Roy Rogers Show brings you Western adventure and songs from the Double R Bar Ranch in Paradise Valley, featuring the King of the Cowboys, Roy Rogers, and the Queen of the West, Dale Evans. Eddie Cantor recalls his years in the entertainment world during his show business show. And Judy Canova invites you to Mythical Cactus Junction for 30 minutes of fun. Yes, it's an enjoyable evening of great radio entertainment, so be sure to hear it all every Thursday night on the NBC Radio Network.
Anthony Targu. Item two, the mysterious disappearance of a well-known plastic surgeon named Dr. Dorberg. If there's a tie-up between the two, it could mean that Targu is still alive, still masterminding an international crime syndicate. It's Wednesday afternoon when my plane lands and I hustle over to the office of Inspector Bezak at police headquarters. A tall, distinguished-looking gent is in the office with him. Ah, Steve, it's nice to see you again. May I present Monsieur Nichols? Mr. Nichols? Pleasure indeed, Mr. Mitchell. Do sit down, monsieur. Do sit down. Thanks. I did not mean for Monsieur Nichols the disappearance of Dr. Dorberg might not have been made known to us for several days, perhaps. I see. You're a friend of the doctor's, Mr. Nichols? I met him a short time ago at a dinner given by a mutual acquaintance here in Montreal. Doctor and I had planned to attend a concert last night. Your government, Monsieur Mitchell, thinks there is some connection between the doctor's disappearance and uh, Anthony Targou? There could be, Inspector. Targou, who is he? An international gangster, Mr. Nichols. He is supposed to have died in an auto accident six months ago. We're not sure he did. Inspector, did your department identify Targo after the accident? No, uh, the crash was most severe. The car caught fire. Positive identification was not possible. And uh, we have only Anna Melnick's testimony. Anna Melnick? Who's she? Targo's girlfriend. She was with him at the time of the accident. Fortunately, she was on clear. I see. Does she live here in Montreal? Ah, uh, no, no, no. In a town called Drummond, across the river, some 50 miles east of here. Targou is buried in the cemetery there. Uh, forgive me, but I don't seem to understand. You seem more concerned about a dead gangster and a woman named Melnick. Because it might lead us to Dr. Dorberg. But how? I fail to see. Let's how... assume that Targou is alive, that he wants to get back into the States. He can't because he'd be too easily recognized, so he arranges to have his face remodeled. I see. Dr. Dorberg being a well-known plastic surgeon. I say that could be it, couldn't it? Yeah, could be, Mr. Nichols, could be. It's late afternoon when I arrive at Drummond. I go to the address the inspector has given me, a classy five-story apartment building overlooking the St. Lawrence River. Apartment 12 doesn't answer. The janitor tells me that Wednesday is Anna Melnick's day at the cemetery, so I hustle out there. It's one of those gray, dismal afternoons, a chill in the air, an overcast sky, and the bell from the chapel on the hill tolls mournfully. Hello. Good afternoon. Nice spot here. Trees, gentle slope, flowers, and a view. Tony would have liked it. Tony? You're Anna, aren't you? Anna Melnick? Yes. My name is Steve. I'm an old friend of Tony's. I happen to be in the area, so I thought I'd pay my respects. I used to work with Tony years ago. Yeah, we had great plans in those days, but the immigration boys messed them up. Tony used to talk a lot about his friends. You said your name is Steve... uh... Mitchell. Mitchell? I don't recall his mentioning that name. It's Mitchell now. It wasn't then. Oh, I see. Ah, too bad Tony had to go out like this. You were with him when it happened, huh? Yes. You know how Tony used to drive, like a madman. And he'd been drinking. Oh, never touched a drop when I knew him. He changed after he'd been sent back to Europe. He was like a caged lion, restless, angry. <laughs> Eager to get back into the U.S. again, huh? <laughs> I always figured he'd get back. Guess he would have if it hadn't been for the accident. Is something wrong? 
You're shivering. It's getting quite chilly. I must go soon. Sure. Say, uh, how about giving me a lift back to town, huh? Of course. My car is parked at the main gate. I would like another moment or two here alone, if you don't mind. Okay. I'll wait at the car. I stroll on down to the gate and look back up the hillside. Yeah, it's a touching scene, all right. Anna's standing at the foot of Tony's grave, and she's dabbing her cheek with a handkerchief. Somehow, the picture looks as phony as a three-dollar bill. Finally, she walks down to the gate, and we hop into her car. She not only drives me back to town, but invites me upstairs to her apartment for a drink. We make some pleasant conversation, and then she takes something out of a desk drawer. I thought you might be interested in this, Steve. Oh, photograph album, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He sure liked photographs, as long as they weren't of him. Smart he was. Here, let me sit by you. Yeah. You will recognize many of his friends. Your friends, too. Oh, here. <laughs> Look at this one. A photograph of Tony's car. The Mercedes he bought in 37. Look, isn't that Guido behind the wheel? I can't make it out. It's sort of blurred. Oh, there's another photo of Guido in here. Let me see if I can find it. We spend the next few minutes thumbing through the old photo album. I recognize a few of Tony's henchmen, but not as many as I should. And I'm not so sure I'm coming up with all the right answers. She's testing me out, I know. And finally, she gets up, slams the album closed... From the look on her face, I know I haven't made a passing grade. You're wasting your time, Mr. Mitchell, or whatever your name is. Hey, what's the matter, baby? Lies. Lies. That's all you've been telling me. You're no friend of Tony's. Who are you? Now, look. Shall I guess? A reporter, perhaps? Or a policeman? Oh, yes, you've heard those stupid rumors that Tony's still alive. Of course. That's why you're here. So a guy hears rumors. So, being an old friend of Tony's, I got a little curious, maybe. He's dead. Don't you understand? He's dead. Okay, if you say so, Anna. Why get all steamed up about it? Oh, leave me alone, why don't you? Get out. Please, get out. Sure, sure. Oh, uh, Anna. What is it? Thanks for the drink. Get out! The bass whistle passed my ear and crashes against the wall as I duck into the alcove. On the way out, I flip the catch on the lock and then close the door. I wait outside in the hall for a moment, then ease the door open. I can hear Anna dialing the telephone. I slip into the alcove again. Yes, only a moment ago. I think it was a reporter, probably. What? Well, never mind. I'll see to it myself. Pick me up there in 20 minutes. Yes. Very well. I ease out of the apartment fast, hurry downstairs, and wait in the shadows across the street. When Anna comes out, I trail her half a dozen blocks to a small brick front building. The brass plate on the door reads, See... J. Morrison and Sons, Morticians. I duck out of sight and wait. Anna doesn't come out. No one goes in. When I think I've waited long enough, I move inside the building and down the long, dimly lit corridor. The door at the far end of the corridor is open slightly. Papers are scattered all over the office, and in the middle of it all, a gent sprawled out on the floor. Take it easy, Buster. What happened? Oh, someone struck me from behind. What is all this? My papers are scattered. Look, did you handle the funeral arrangements for a man named Anthony Targu? He died in an auto accident six months ago. Targu? Yes, Targu. You have a file on him? Of course. You sure of that? Oh, yes, yes, yes. We keep a file on all here. Uh, 
In this cabinet, here. Well, it's been opened. Wait a moment. I don't understand. Don't tell me I know. The file on Anthony Targu is missing. Yes, it's gone. Don Levy will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. As Americans, we're all proud of the beauty of our forest areas. We know, too, that from these areas we get raw materials which help to keep our nation strong. And that's why authorities who are seeking to combat forest fires feel sure of public cooperation once the public stops to realize the simple facts of forest fire prevention. Most forest fires are due to plain carelessness, carelessness which can be avoided by following these four rules. When in forest areas, crush out cigarettes, cigar, and pipe ashes. Break matches in two after using. Drown all campfires, then stir and drown them again. Find out the law before using fire. By remembering and practicing these rules, we can all play a part in reducing the number of forest fires, thus saving lives and property. So if you visit a forest area during your vacation, do your part for fire prevention. If you live or work in a forest area, be mindful of the four rules we mentioned. If we all work together, we can stop this shameful waste. Now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. young lady, Anna Melnick. I don't know, but it looks like Targu is alive, all right. Oh, yes. Oh, did you dig up something, too? Yeah. There are two men outside in my car. I'm sure you'll be interested in talking to them. Oh? Mm-hmm. One is a man named Bert Jessup who drives a grocery delivery truck. The other one is Dr. Dorberg. Dorberg? Hey, he walked into my office ten minutes ago. Hmm. Had he been kidnapped? Indeed, he had. Ah, here we are. Ah, Dr. Dorberg, uh, Monsieur Dessert, Monsieur Michel. Gentlemen, hello, Mr. Michel. Dr. Dorberg, suppose you tell Monsieur Michel what happened. Yes, of course. First, I should say it was Mr. Jessup here who helped me escape. Uh, I was just delivering some groceries to the villa when I met the doctor in the cellar. Dr. Dorberg, maybe you'd better start at the beginning, huh? Yes, all right. Red, I was seized by two men and I was taken to a large villa. I was locked in a room for the rest of the night. Did you see anybody? Only a guard who warned me that this time I had better do a good job or I would get what the last doctor did. I see. He didn't say what kind of a job. No, but he seemed to know I am a plastic person. Go on. This morning I got a glimpse of a man in the ground. His face was all covered with bandages. How did you escape? Well, the guard brought me food on a tray, and as he went out, the door latch did not engage, and he did not notice it. I slipped out into the hall, but I could see the grounds were guarded, so I went down to the basement to wait a better chance. That's when Mr. Jessup here came along. 
I take it we're heading for that villa now, Inspector. We are. But when we arrive, the villa's deserted. Our birds have flown the coop. Dr. Dorberg takes us over his escape route from the room upstairs, down the back hall and stairs to the basement. I hid down here behind the staircase to wait for an opportunity to get out to the ground. But Mr. Jessup came down here right afterward. As I told you, I got a ride in his delivery truck. Yeah, one thing I don't get, Jessup. What were you doing down here in the cellar? Oh, that's where I brought this case of canned goods, Mr. Mitchell. Oh. Uh, You see, I didn't figure they'd want the whole thing inside, and there wasn't anybody answered the back door, so I figured I'd just bring it down here. But then when I went back up, I I ran into one of them. He told me to bring the case into the house. Uh, You came back down here, and that's when you ran into Dr. Dorberg, huh? Right. And in the excitement, I forgot all about the case of canned goods. It's uh, it's still here. Yeah, I must have been planning a long stay ordering all this food. I won't... Hmm. Well, what is it, Mitchell? Uh, Nothing, Inspector. Come on, I guess there's nothing more we can do here. city and drop Gus Jessup off at his store. Then, as the inspector pulls away from the curb, I motion him to turn at the first corner. But why here, Mitchell? Pull up and let me out, huh? But I don't understand. I'm going to keep an eye on Jessup's store. But why? Either he was lying to us or you fellas grow the fastest spiders in the world up here. Spider? Yeah. Back in the cellar of the villa, he told us he'd just delivered that case of canned goods a couple of hours before. And, uh, There were cobwebs on it? Yeah, over at one corner. A cobweb between the case and the wall. Ah, I see. Very well. I will be at police headquarters if you need me. Good. If my hunch about this deal is right, I may need you in a big hurry. I hire a parked cab and wait. Pretty soon a car pulls up in front of the store. It's on a Melnick. Jessup comes out and they drive off. I follow, but... They only go around the block, then Jessup gets out, probably just reporting to her that everything's gone okay. I tail Anna out of the city to another large villa. Then I find a nearby phone box and call Inspector Bizak. Anna Melnick, is it? Yeah. Seeing her started this deal sliding into place, it also explains something that's been pecking away at the back of my brain for quite a while. That mirror back at her apartment... What do you mean? Uh, I'll explain when there's more time. Right now I'm just calling to invite you to the party. Have you? But I figure I can't wait that long. I don't want them to fly the coop again. I go back to the villa and circle it. I find an open window and slip inside. I hear voices in the next room. I ease the door open a crack. There are three people. Anna, a guy I recognize as a racketeer from the States named Keller, and a third guy with bandages completely covering his face. Pretty soon, Anna and Keller leave. I ease up behind the guy with the bandages and clamp a hand over his mouth. He kicks over a lamp, Keller's back into the room fast, and his gun's even faster. The slug creases my shoulder and knocks me back against the wall. Okay, muscle boy, just hold it right there. Are you okay, boss? Good. Well, well, the nosy reporter again. He's no reporter. He's a government agent named Mitchell. He helped put me away once. Yeah, but not for long enough, it looks like, Keller. You made the trip to confer with Targu here, huh? Keller, as long as you're an old friend of Mitchell's, maybe you should take care of him. (laughs) I'd be glad to. The boss and I will go on to Quebec. After you get rid of Mitchell, you'd better get back to New York. We'll contact you there. Okay. 
Well, come on, sucker. You got a little ride staring you in the face. I don't doubt it. But the way it looks to me, I'm not the only sucker around here, Keller. Meaning? Meaning you. Oh, come on, Keller. He's just trying to stall. Am I? You're getting taken for a ride just as much as I am, Keller. Who do you think this guy with the bandages on his face is? It's Targo. So what? So guess again. Targo is dead. He's talking crazy, Keller. Then why are you getting nervous, Anna? Look, Keller. She and her bandaged boyfriend here have set up the whole phony deal to cash in on the magic name of Targo. To get the old mob started again and collect a percentage. Keller, I tell Just you that... Just a minute, Anna. All right, keep talking, Mitchell. Keep talking. The kidnapping of Dr. Dorberg was rigged just like his escape to make everyone think Targo was still alive to run his syndicate. That's a lie. That telephone conversation of yours, Anna, the one that sent me to the morgue where you copped the file, that was also rigged. I found out later you could see me in the mirror when I thought I was hidden in the alcove. This whole deal has been staged for one purpose, to make it look like this gent here with the bandages is Targo. No. Wait a minute, Anna. You told me the reason he couldn't talk much was on account of the bandages, the plastic surgery around his mouth. That's true. Yeah, but his handwriting looked like the real McCoy. Oh, it was Targo's girlfriend. She knew his handwriting and could have faked it. No. He seemed to know everything about the outfit. Anna could have told him. Oh, shut up. You know, I think maybe we better have a little look behind those bandages. No, Keller. Get back. Suddenly, the guy with the bandages has a gun in his hand. Keller flips his own gun up for a shot, but he's too late. I dive at the guy, crack his gun loose. Anna runs out of the room. I get a knee in the breadbasket and knocks me back against the wall. He whirls and hits for the door, but I take off and nail him with a diving tackle. His head connects hard with the wall. He folds. Mitchell! Mitchell! Yeah, yeah, Inspector. Anna. No, don't worry. We caught her, and we also picked up Gus Gesser. Good. Well, that should be the crop. Now, we'll see who the gent under the bandages is. It's Nichols. Yeah, the guy who was in your office when I first arrived. The one who reported the kidnapping of Dr. Dorberg. Mm, I see now why he was so obliging, so anxious to have. Yeah, you know, this outfit had a pretty neat deal rigged. And if I hadn't spotted that cobweb on the case of canned goods, they might have gotten away with it. But that little cobweb sort of loused them up. Or, I should say, cobbed up the deal for them. <laughs> star, Brian Donlevy, will return in just a moment. If musical entertainment is high on your list of enjoyable radio programming, then NBC's Monday Night of Music was designed especially for you. When you set your radio dial to most NBC stations on Monday evening, you'll hear such stellar programs as the Railroad Hour, the Voice of Firestone, and the Telephone Hour. The Railroad Hour presents Gordon McRae and Dorothy Warnjold in a summertime show train special. Howard Barlow conducts the orchestra and chorus on The Voice of Firestone, and the program always features the finest musical artists. The Telephone Hour brings you the music of Donald Voorhees and the Bell Symphonic Orchestra, as well as famous guests from the realm of music. So, Monday evening, sit back in your favorite easy chair, relax with a magazine or the evening paper, and enjoy a restful evening of music designed especially for your summertime enjoyment. Make it a date to be one of the millions of people who each Monday evening tune to NBC's musical program schedule. Next week, Indochina, 
I have a date with a bomb. And that will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. Featured in tonight's cast were Ben Wright, Paul Fries, B.B. Janis, Peter Leeds, and Bill Conrad. This is John Storm. Assignment starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner is an NBC Radio Network production written by Bob Wright and Adrian Chondo and directed by Bill Karn. Be with us again next week at this same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another transcribed dangerous assignment. That concludes today's episode. We'd like to thank you and remind you to donate at choiceclassicradio.com. Remember, your donations make episodes like this possible.